Father God, I thank you so much just for tonight. I thank you that, uh, um, God, you are loving and that you love each and every single one of us. And I pray that tonight wouldn't be about Chi Alpha, wouldn't be about the traveling team, but it would be about you. And God, I pray that as uh, we sit in here and we learn from your word, the distractions of the week and those things would fade away and we'd be able to, to focus on what you have to say and we really hear from you. And Holy Spirit, come and, and, and speak to each one of our hearts and uh, even prepare my heart to even give this message. And God, we just love you uh, because you demonstrated your love for us and that while we we're still sinners, Christ died for us. And so God, I just praise your name and I ask that you would get the glory and the praise tonight. In your name I pray. Amen. Well, like you said, my name's Jake. I'm from Kansas. Thank you. I know. It is a state. So I'm, I'm from Kansas, so I'm excited to be here. I'm from Kansas. I'm excited to be anywhere. Now, I want to show you guys what tonight's going to look like. Tonight's going to be in two parts, and I know uh, that's going to look a little bit different from a normal weekly meeting, uh, but the second part really is very practical. And so in a second, I'm going to walk for 25 minutes on the why. What is God doing throughout Scripture, and why should we live a missional lifestyle and join Him on what He is doing? And the part two is literally going to be just 20, 25 minutes on the how. Because it's not enough just to know something. We need to know what to do with what we know. So it's very practical. So I encourage everyone in here, whether uh, senior, freshman, junior, sophomore, wherever you're at, if you heard about this before, maybe this is even the first time you're hearing what God's doing throughout all the scripture. I encourage every single person, if you can, to stick around for the part two and learn how to live this out as a college student and live it out for the rest of our lives. Uh, but for right now, I'm going to walk through the Bible, and I'm going to show you guys tonight that the Bible is not 66 separate books, but the Bible is one book with one theme, one book with one theme that God has a heart for all nations. Now, I grew up on a cattle ranch in Kansas, and growing up on a cattle ranch, I had one goal in life, to be a cowboy, right? Like some people want to be a teacher or a firefighter or Superman or the president. I wanted to be a cowboy. And so at a young age, I started competing in our county rodeo, and actually at the age of five, I won my first trophy. Now, this trophy meant the world to me. Like, I was taking it to show and tell. I was showing all my friends. They were getting annoyed. I didn't care. It literally had its own special shelf in my room. And now, a few years after I won this trophy, I went off to college. And while I'm at college, my parents move homes. And I come home on Christmas break to find out that my favorite trophy in the entire world had been put in a box. So what do I do? I take the trophy out of the box and I start reliving the glory days. Like music's playing in the background. I'm showing all my family. I get to my parents. I'm like, Mom, Dad, do you remember when I won this trophy? How awesome was that? (laughs) And my mom, she just looks at me. She goes, Honey you know that trophy's fake, right? She explains to me the trophy I was holding was an extra one they got from the neighbors they gave me to make me think that I had won. That's a sick thing to do to a five-year-old. My world came crashing down. I was devastated. Like, I didn't care what else they told me in that moment. Like, Santa Claus wasn't real. I didn't care because my my entire world, my entire life had been wrapped around this one thing. And I found out to be fake. And I want to point something out to you guys. You guys as campus staff, 
the traveling team and every single person in this room is living for a trophy. All of us have a purpose we're giving our lives to. And what none of us want to do is get to the end of our lives, stand before the judgment seat and find out from God that what we've been living for was a fake trophy. Because the world is a fake trophy factory. And for the rest of our college careers and the rest of our lives, it'll tell you you have to live for your major. You have to have a good GPA. You have to build into your retirement fund. You have to have a big house and a big car. And all of us know that we can take none of those things with us when we go. So my challenge for everyone in here tonight is this. To live for what lasts. To live for what lasts. And God, in his word, makes it abundantly clear that there are only three things that last for all of eternity. That is God, God's word, and the souls of people. And the only way The only way to guarantee that we don't live for a fake trophy is to align our purpose with God's purpose. To align our purpose with God's purpose. And I want to build a case. I want to build a case for you tonight that proves the entire Bible is moving towards one end, one goal, and God's been on one mission since the beginning of time. And he's inviting his people to be a part of it. Are you guys ready to go from Genesis to Revelation in like 20 minutes? All right, I'm going to fly. I'm going to start where God starts. He starts in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning. Now, in the beginning, God created Adam and Eve. The very first command ever given to mankind was this, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Genesis 1:28. very first command ever given. What happens? Well, man sins. It gets so bad. God hits the reset button, floods the entire earth, and starts over again with Noah. And as Noah and his family come off the ark, they hear this from God. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Why does God repeat himself? Because God, from the very first chapter of the Bible, desires to see this world filled with worshipers who know and love him. That's his plan from the very beginning. We come to Genesis chapter 11, and literally God scatters the nations around the world. And that's the context we have when we come to Genesis chapter 12. And in Genesis chapter 12, God looks down and he chooses one man and his family in order to make his purpose happen. And Genesis chapter 12 may be one of the most foundational chapters in the entire Bible. Look at what God says to a man named Abram, better known as Abraham. The Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. See, God looks down at Abraham and says, bro, I'm going to hook you up. And we know the greatest blessing that we have from God is a gift of a relationship with him that comes later through his son. But God looks down at Abraham and says, dude, I'm going to hook you up, but don't miss this. It's not just for you. See, I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all nations and all nations on earth will be blessed. See, Genesis chapter 12, God sets up a picture. He sets up a pattern that he uses the rest of history that he uses the rest of the Bible. That pattern looks like this, that God pours out blessing on his family, his church, his people. But that 
recipient is never intended to be the final destination. The blessing has come because it's on its way to somebody else. We are blessed to be a blessing. We are blessed to be a blessing. That's a picture God's setting up here in Genesis chapter 12, that we are just the conduit of the blessing he gives us so that that blessing could go to all nations. And that's what he uses the rest of history. Get used to this phrase, all nations on earth, because God only repeats it several hundred more times throughout Scripture. That same promise God gives Abraham, he gives to his son, Isaac. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. To his grandson, Jacob, your descendants are back to the dust of the earth. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. See, from generation to generation, God is pushing this promise forward. And it's even in the famous Bible stories. Who in here has heard of the story of David and Goliath? Most of us. If you haven't, let me sum it up for you. Short dude, tall dude, awesome headshot. (laughs) Right? I mean, that's the story of David and Goliath. And I always thought that this story was in the Bible for me to understand. That if God's on my side, there is nothing that can stand against me. And that's true. But that's not the main theme of this story. See, David understands even before he goes out on the battlefield to face Goliath why God is going to bless him with victory, and it's not for David's sake. Look at what he says as he approaches Goliath on the battlefield. This day I will strike you down, Goliath, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. See, David understood God's not blessing me for me. God's blessing me to use me to make his name famous among all nations. And do you know how I prove that to be true? Who in here has heard of the story of David and Goliath? God still uses that story thousands of years later, thousands of miles away to make his name famous. You don't even have to have gone to church to have heard about that story before. And it's the same with Moses and the exodus out of Egypt. I've raised you up for this very purpose, Pharaoh, that I might show you my power, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. If we've grown up going to church, if we've been in church at all, we've heard a bunch of Bible stories. Daniel and the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, Jonah and the whale, the crossing of the Jordan, the dedication of the temple, the Ten Commandments. I can keep going. All the famous Bible stories all have the same thing, that God is blessing his people so that they may be a blessing to all nations. And in the Psalms, it's the same picture. Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. Do we not love this verse? Man, I love when God blesses me. I love when his face shines upon me. But help me out. That's not a period. That's a period with a tail. It's called a comma. That means the sentence keeps going. God, why do you bless me? So that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. We are blessed to be a blessing. And throughout the prophets, same story, Isaiah 49. It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob. I will also make you a light to the nations so that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. 
See, God looks down and says, it is too small a thing for you to reach your own people. If my vision is to reach this entire campus, maybe the entire state of Washington or the entire United States for Christ, that's a good vision. But yet God says it is still too small. Because God's heart doesn't stop at the Pacific Ocean. His heart doesn't stop at the state line. His heart encompasses the entire world. And he wants our heart to look the same. Our goal shouldn't be this campus. Because God's heart's goal is not this campus. But it starts here. It absolutely does. It starts right here in our friend groups. We literally have the week, this whole week, devoted to reaching out to people on campus. Man, how awesome is it that God will use us right here in central Washington in Ellensburg to reach the nations? And he does it, and he starts it by the people in our dorms, the people in our apartments, the people we eat lunch with, and the, those that are around us in our classrooms. God uses us, and it starts right here, but it doesn't stop here. Because heart, God's heart doesn't stop here. He wants us to raise our vision a little higher. So let's reach our friends Let's pray diligently for, diligently for this campus. But let's realize what God is doing and how awesome is it that he is bringing us along with him. Now, when I was a kid, I had a bunch of toy tractors. Now, I don't know if any of you guys did, but I would do some major work with these suckers, right? I would plow mom's carpet. I had corn on one side, beans on the other, my little red barn, a plastic cow. Work. But every time dad would come inside and said, hey, son, you want to come to work with me? I always went. Because that meant I got to drive a real tractor. He would walk me outside and he'd set me on the side of this huge honking green thing, climb up behind me, and I'd begin to steer. Now, was I actually driving this tractor? No, thank you. No, thank you. No, because if I was actually driving this tractor, something tragic would have happened. I'd have driven through a fence, over a cow, into a pond. Something bad would have happened if I was actually driving this thing. But my dad, he was always sitting right behind me. He was always making sure we were on the right track. So I posed the question. Why do dads take their children to work with them? It doesn't make sense. It always causes more work for the father. Causes more time and more effort, so why do they do it? Because it brings a dad so much joy to have his children come to work with them. They absolutely love taking their children and having them join them on what they are already doing. And it's no different for our Father in heaven. Friends, he absolutely loves taking his children to work with them. And when we join dad and we jump in the tractor with him, We join something that is so much bigger than ourselves. We join him on what he is doing around the world. That may start right here in Central. But it's part of a bigger plan. It's part of a greater purpose. If, hear me on this. If, if I don't join dad and jump in the tractor with him, it's nothing more than playing with toys on the carpet. Because the things of this world do not last. Don't hear me say you can't use your major to glorify God. That is not what I'm saying right now. 
What I'm asking you to do is check the motivation behind why you're getting that major. Because if my main motivation was to go to Kansas State University to get my animal science degree, to live on a cattle ranch, make a lot of money, and bless myself, that's a fake trophy. But if my main motivation was to go to Central Washington University to get my business degree so that God could use me as a business person to bring his name glory around the entire world, that's not a fake trophy. Because my motivation is to bring glory to his name, not mine. So I'm not saying you can't use your major to glorify God. What I want us to do is ask in the motivation behind why am, I, why am I pursuing that career? Is it to bring fame and glory to my name or his? Understand? That makes sense? Okay. As we turn the page into the New Testament, we find four books specifically on Jesus' life. And Jesus' life was the Great Commission. He lived it out. See, Jesus was the perfect picture of a father and a son going to work together. But maybe the best place to see God's heart for the world is to go to the most famous verse in the entire Bible. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. In my whole life, I've been taught to plug my name right there where it says the world. For God so loves Jake. And that's absolutely true. God loves me so much. God loves each and every person in here so much that if you were the last person on earth, he still would have sent his son just the same. That's scandalous love. And that's how much he loves each and every person in this room. The only problem I ran into is that I never took my name back out. I always left it for God so loved Jake. Because as blessings came to me, they stopped with me. And that's not how God designed it. We are blessed to be a blessing. I know a lot of people in here, uh, they either went to the World Mission Summit or they've been around Kyle for a long time. And so I'm probably just saying a lot of things you guys have heard before, uh, a lot of things that you guys are already about. And so I want to encourage you to keep going in it. But I know with a room this size and this many people, there might be some people in here that are checking out Christianity for the first time. Or maybe this is absolutely new. You've never heard this before. And I want to share the gospel. First John 2, 2 says, uh, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is the gospel. See, those words, atoning sacrifice, simply mean that God took our sin, our wrath, and our punishment, and he placed it on his son. And then he took his son's perfect record, his righteousness, along with grace and mercy, and he placed it on us. That's the gospel. Friends, never get over the fact if you know Jesus, you are not getting what you deserve because we all deserve punishment, but we got grace instead. And we can't separate the gospel from God's heart for the nations. It says he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. 
See, Jesus came to earth for one reason. That was to die on a cross, but he died on a cross for the sins of the entire world. And he looks down at me and says, hey, Jake, my heart is for all nations, is yours. And after he died, he spent three days in the grave. Then he rose and he walked on earth for 40 days. And in those 40 days, we got what we call the Great Commission. See, Matthew 28, 19 has been termed the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations. We have termed this the Great Commission, but it sounds very similar in Mark. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. And in Luke, in repentance and forgiveness should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. In John, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. In Acts, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus didn't give the commission one time. He gave, the, he gave the Great Commission five times in five different books of the Bible. Not just one. It just happens to start with the one in Matthew. But why five? Why five? Because, if Jesus, or because God understands, Jesus understood that if there was only one verse at the end of Matthew, Christians would tend to make it an option. And Jesus makes it very clear, living a missional lifestyle is a command that we are to imitate his life. And it literally took somebody to show me this. They literally walked me through the Bible and showed me God's heart for the nations and how he is drawing his people to be a part of it. It's a lot like the Big Dipper. I know probably everyone in here has seen the Big Dipper or knows where it is, but there was a time in our lives where we didn't. And somebody had to show us. And now for me, I was seven. Seven years old, standing in my barn with my older brother. Uh, Now he's five years older than me, so he's much wiser, right? And we begin to walk back to the house. It's 11 o'clock at night. We get about halfway back, and my bro looks at me. He says, hey, Jake, do you know where the Big Dipper is? And I'm seven. So I'm like, of course I do. And I just reached up and pointed. I said, dude, Big Dipper's right over there. And like any good big brother would do, he looked at me. And he said, you're an idiot. That's the moon. Then he took my hand and he drug it all the way across the sky. And he began to point out the dots that make up the Big Dipper. And I guarantee you this. Every night that I've been out since... I know exactly where the Big Dipper is. That's the Big Dipper. That's the moon. That's the Big Dipper. That's the moon. I can't unsee it, even if I try. Once you see it one time, you can never unsee it again. And that is my heart for every single person in here tonight. That as we walk throughout Scripture, showing you that God's been on one mission, one purpose since the beginning of time to bring glory to His name among all nations, and He is calling His people to be a part of it for the rest of your lives, you guys would never read the Bible the same again. Every time you open it up, you would see all the verses about the nation. Some uh, tonight that we looked at are just, just a small percentage of how many are in there that point to God's heart for the nations and how he is drawing his people to be a part of it. But as we continue to connect the dots throughout scripture, I want to connect a few dots on the map as well. See, there's a part of the world called the 1040 window. And it might be hard to see, but the small legend down there in the bottom says each separate red dot represents 50,000 non-Christians. 
So are there needs around the world? Yes, absolutely. It shows needs over the entire world. But the reason I talk about the 1040 window, which goes from 10 degrees north latitude to 40 degrees north latitude from West Africa over to East Asia, is that the major stat about this box is this is where 97%, 97% of the world's unreached people live. 97% literally represents 3 billion people that have little or no access to the gospel. That's not everyone in this box, but it's a large majority. And unreached doesn't mean unsaved. See, unsaved simply means they don't follow Jesus. There are unsaved people all over this campus that need to hear the gospel. But unreached means they don't follow Jesus and they couldn't if they wanted to. There may not be a Bible in their language, a church in their city or country. They'll never walk around their entire lives and meet a Christian who could tell them the gospel. And as the family, we can't be okay with that. Because Jesus loves them. He died for them. They need to hear about his grace. And he deserves their worship. That's the story right now. Around 3 billion people, not counting all the others, they have little or no access to the gospel. But don't be discouraged. Because that's not the end of the story. We worship a God who cannot fail. But this is a problem. And not only is it a problem, Paul says it's our problem. Look what he says in Galatians 3. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. Very simply put, that if you're in this room and you know Jesus, welcome to the family. Welcome to the family. We get to claim the same promise that God gave Abraham because of what Jesus did on the cross. And we are that blessing. We are blessed to be a blessing to the nations. God is continuing his purpose. And, he, and Paul also talks about unreached people. Look what he says in Romans 10. How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone going and preaching to them? And how are they to go and preach unless they are sent? See, Paul pulls out two ways. There are two ways that we jump on board. Uh, we jump in the tractor with dad and we join him on what he's doing around the world. We either go or we send. We either go or we send. Now, a second ago, well, earlier in the talk, I talked about, man, we're going to have a part two. And the part two is all about how do I do this as a college student and for the rest of my life. And I know Chi Alpha is big on every student uh, goes, every student prays, every student gives, every student welcomes. And that's what I'm talking about here. Go here or there, and you send by praying or giving. Here simply means welcoming. Uh, Here, going here on this campus, I'm not talking about normal evangelism and discipleship. And because I'm not talking about that, and the reason I'm not talking about that, is because I already expect it to be happening. If you guys don't know how to share your faith with your friends, that's fine. Ask an upperclassman, ask your facilitator, ask a staff. Have them help you learn your testimony or a simple way to share the gospel with those around you. But when I say go here, I'm literally talking about welcoming the international students that are on our campus, making friends with them, taking them uh, to the grocery store, taking them over to the rec center here uh, and playing uh, soccer with them or basketball, just making friends and sharing the gospel. There are two large countries uh, that are represented uh, here on this campus that are in the 1040 window. You guys can probably guess which two I'm talking about. 
uh, and literally, some of them, some of the students are only here for six months, and they have a chance to meet you and hear the gospel for the first time, maybe. But it's not the end of the story. All right, I want to say this before I move on. Every time I put this on the screen, something automatically happens in my mind, and I automatically think uh, something like this, that going is A-team and sending is B-team. Varsity, JV. And that's not true. It is not true that somebody who goes as a missionary is more spiritual or a better Christian than somebody who stays behind and sins. But in the same way that it's not more spiritual, sending should be no less sacrificial. If somebody gives up their entire life to take the gospel where it's not, I need to give up my entire life to make sure they get there and that they're well prayed for. But we worship a God who cannot fail. Three billion people with little or no access to the gospel is not the end of the story because Jesus shows us what heaven looks like. And heaven looks like this. Revelation 7, 9. I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. Guys, heaven is going to be one big multicultural worship service to Jesus. See, contrary to popular belief, it is not going to be a bunch of Americans singing Chris Tomlin songs. <laughs> it's going to be so much better than that. All the nations will be there. Lecrae will make a guest appearance because he's that good. <laughs> but literally, all the nations will be represented at the foot of the Lamb. Our God cannot fail. This is what all of Scripture and all of history is moving towards. And what we have to ask ourselves is, are we going to be a part of that? Am I going to be a part of that? Are you going to be a part of that? God gives us the option. Paul says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, they will do it for a crown that will not last. But we will do it for a crown that lasts forever. My challenge at the beginning was this, to live for what lasts. To live for what lasts. Whether that's as a teacher Engineer, long-term missionary, campus minister, business person, Seattle, Denver, China, Jordan, wherever it might be. All of us take part in God's global mission. And it all starts right here. It starts on this campus. Uh, you guys had a card. Uh, I want you to pull that out really quickly. The front side, the darker side that was passed. If you didn't get one, there's some on the back table. Uh, but this was passed out at the door. And this is a great resource for you. This is literally just most of the mission verses that we went through and some more. Take your Bible study through it. Go through it yourself. Take a friend, a family member, and literally highlight the Big Dipper throughout Scripture that shows you God's heart for all nations. But the backside is a commitment. And that commitment simply means, uh, or that commitment uh, says that I want to take the next step in being a goer or a sender. And so what does that mean? Well, in a second, I'm going to have us raise our hands. Who wants to commit to this tonight? Or if you've already committed to doing that, I'm just going to pray for you. But this commitment doesn't mean I'm booking my one-way ticket to Oogabooglaland tomorrow or giving 100% of my money to missions. No, it simply means that, God, I want to take the next step. I want to take that next step in being a goer or a sender. And that next step will look different for every single person in this room. It might be starting a world prayer group. 
It might be just starting to pray for the nations. Or maybe that next step is literally going to go read all these verses on this card. Or I'm going to get plugged into my Bible study. Or I'm going to graduate. I'm going to give a year and pray about a lifetime. That next step will look different for every single person in this room. But I want to pray for those who want to commit to this tonight or have already committed to this and are going to raise their hand. So would you, everyone in here, just close your eyes and bow your heads. And I'm just going to pray for you. So if, if you want to commit to this tonight or you've already made that commitment and you, this was just really encouraging for you to hear, would you take that card or your hand and raise it high above your head? And let me just pray for you as I close. You can raise them now. Wow. Wow. God, you are awesome. I thank you so much for this ministry. I thank you so much for this campus and what you're doing right here in central Washington and how, are you, how you are using Chi Alpha to be a launching pad of the nations. It was such an encouragement and a blessing to see the four missionaries on the screen that literally came all from this campus, one of them as an intern, the others as students, uh, and that, God, you are using them around the world and how you are already uh, working in the hearts of every student in here to be a part of your global purpose. So God, I praise your name for you are good and you love us and you love having us join you on what you are doing. And God, I just ask that you would continue to bless this ministry so that they may be a blessing to all nations. In your name I pray, amen.